We've been going through the book of Matthew on our sermon series, and we have come to a passage today that both terrifies me and bores me. Uh, it terrifies me in that um, we're going to look at Jesus walking on the water, and it terrifies me in that you have heard a, probably a dozen sermons about this if you spent any time in church, and the reality is you have undoubtedly heard sermons from better preachers than me about this passage, right? And so trying to come to a passage that is so often preached can be difficult and uh, frustrating to do. Uh, the flip side of it is when you've heard a passage preached this many times, um, the boredom part is you've heard a lot of points made and you think to yourself, what can I possibly say that somebody hasn't already said? Or how can I make this anything but just a rehearsal of what has already been done? Uh, for me, I feel like... Um, I get these ruts in certain passages where I read them the same way every time and I can't get out of it. It's like uh, ancient roads. When the Romans built roads, sometimes there would be these little tracks for the uh, wheels of a cart to fit into. And I feel like I'm in one of the, on one of those roads and my wheels are stuck in those ruts. And so how do we talk about this to make it meaningful, make it significant for us? I want to do that today by trying to focus on the emotion of the passage. What did people feel when these things happen? And the reason I want to do that is because as I looked through this passage this week, I felt like there were massive emotion changes just sentence to sentence in this. And it's really easy to read it and they're like, oh, they got in the boat, then there was a storm, and Jesus came, and they walked on the water, and everything was okay, awesome. And you just, boom, read right through it. But what if you just took a little bit of time to think about how people felt when the things that happened happened? And how might that change the way that you, um, you look at it and you talk about it? And so it's my hope today to give us little emotional snapshots of what's happening in this famous passage out of Matthew in the hope that maybe that will encourage you this week uh, about your life. Matthew 14, 21. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Caleb, that is not the right passage you're saying. That is the passage before. That's a weird summary statement. Uh, and it is. Um, the passage right before this is the feeding of the 5,000. And I think it's helpful always to remember context here. Uh, the feeding of the 5,000 is this big miracle. We can talk about all the difficulties of what happens there and how we feel about it. But Jesus feeds all of these people who are really hungry. And I just imagine the buzz afterwards. Uh, maybe you've had this experience where you go to a concert and it's just a really good concert. And then you're leaving the stadium or the arena or the theater or wherever. And there's the big group of people and you're all jostling shoulders and everybody's just really pumped about it. Right. And so you hear the little conversations around you like, oh, I really like this song. And like people are just rehearsing what happened. It's actually a terribly lame conversation if you were not there and you didn't experience. You're like, then they did this thing and they did that thing. and It was so cool. And if you're experiencing it with someone else, they're like, yeah. And if you told someone who wasn't there, they'd go, uh, OK, whatever. I don't you know, I don't care. Um, maybe there's a similar experience if you've been to a, a, a big sports game, right? Or uh, when you go to um, maybe a championship final for something or the other. 
Uh, it's also the feeling that sometimes we get after we go on a first date. Maybe you've had that experience if you go on a first date that goes really well, and then the whole way home, you're just kind of excited about it, and you can't wait to get home to like talk to somebody else about that date, right? Maybe you have roommates in college. Um, the campus was small enough, and we still had some pretty old school chivalry going on. We, you know, I dropped Fran off at the dorm, and then I had to walk back to my dorm and go talk to my roommates. And so I had this nice little five minute walk from one side of campus to the other where I'm like, I think that went really well, I think. And I'm like replaying it in my head, right? I think that was a good moment. I think that was, I think she laughed. I think she really thought that was funny, right? You're just like excited about it. And you can imagine the disciples just buzzing. Like he fed 5,000 people today. That was so cool. And they're like talking about it and they're discussing it. And they're just like, they're pumped and they're ready to go. Uh, if you're an extrovert like me, sometimes you get home from a night out and you can't go to bed for an hour or two because you had so much fun with your friends that the like dopamine high has to like come down before you can go to sleep. And that's the kind of buzz that they probably felt. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. It's fascinating that after this experience, Jesus says, I need some space to myself to recharge. Um, for those of you that work that way, and after exciting things, you need a little time and space and silence with no other people around, that's okay. Jesus kind of worked that way too, right? It makes me wonder if Jesus maybe was introverted a little bit because he does this miracle, feeds 5,000 people. And he's like, all right, I, I need to go rest. Please leave me alone. You guys get on this boat, and I'm going to spend some me time, and then we'll get back together later. And as someone who doesn't do that, I think immediately of how the disciples felt about this. They're like, we can't talk? Like, undoubtedly, there was one or two of them that had a list of questions, right? Like, okay, how, does the, how did this work? Did you reanimate the flesh and then grow it miraculously fast? Or did you just, like, create new loaves? Or, like, is there an alternate universe where you're, like, stealing loaves from someone else and bringing it into our universe to be able to feed? Right? Like, somebody had, like, mechanics questions. They wanted to know how the feeding of the 5,000 worked. And some of them just wanted to be like, Jesus, you're so awesome. And they just wanted to like do the whole adulation and praise thing. Undoubtedly, some of them were like, we've got to talk and decompress on this. And Jesus looks at them and says, leave me alone. I need my space. And for some of us, like we, you know that context. Some of you where if you're an extrovert and you're married to an introvert, you're like, what is wrong with you, dude? I want to spend time with you. And here they're all of a sudden separated. And they're thinking, oh, this is a bummer. And you can imagine like, oh, I'm on this stinking boat that smells like fish, and I don't even get to talk to Jesus. And there's kind of this disappointment. Later that night, he was there alone on the mountain, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves against, uh, because the wind was against it. Have you ever been afraid for your life in a storm? Um, this, uh, I always feel like it sounds really melodramatic. When I was a kid, we had a time where we were at church. I think it was a Wednesday night. And there was a big storm that came through. 
I grew up in Michigan. It's not like, you know, Tornado Valley, but we still got some bigger storms than we tend to get here in New England. And I remember we were leaving the church building and our car was about 10 yards away and there was a light post about five yards beyond that. And lightning hit the post as we were walking to the car. And it was like, that was real close to me. Like, I don't know the science of this, but it seems like I'm about to become a human, you know, lightning rod if I am not careful. And just seeing the power of that. And the wind was so strong that the car kind of would be swayed on the road. And we, at one point, we stopped and we pulled over. And as a six-year-old, I took off my seatbelt and I got underneath, like, the dashboard and just started praying fervently, like, I don't want to die. Right? And I mean, I was six, but I still remember it vividly. It is terrifying when you think, I am out here alone with nature, and I can't fight it. Right? Like, I do not have the capability to defeat this. I had a friend recently post that he was hanging out in his backyard, and all of a sudden he looked at his kids and he just said, we need to go get in the basement. And they did, and they thought, they're like, Dad, you're so weird. And then he finds out later there was a tornado that dropped down within a mile of their house. And another friend who works for FEMA said, oh, yeah, you're doing that thing that all animals do. Your body is aware when pressure changes. And what happened is there was an incredible pressure change in the air, and you just intuitively were like, I'm going to die. And so you ran and found shelter. Like dogs do this. Cats do this. God just made us to have that gut instinct. And if you've ever had that moment, you know how terrifying it is. I am at the mercy of nature. And the disciples are suddenly in that spot. Have you ever had one of those moments that goes from really exciting to really terrible? Like where you do something really fun and then on the way home you have a car accident? And it's just, it's whiplash. It's like, oh, what is going on? And so suddenly they have this incredible fear that is injected into their lives. I also find it really interesting that Matthew uses a very explicit phrase here. He goes, and while Jesus was a far way off. Matthew is saying to us, literally, God was far from them. They felt alone. If you've had those moments where you feel like you're praying to no one or nothing, um, that is the feeling of this moment. God is literally far. Jesus has sent us off. You know one of them in the boat is going, well, if Jesus had just come with us instead of going to his alone time, we'd be okay, right? You know, there's this frustration that God put me in this situation. How dare God? not be concerned enough about me that I can be in this spot that scares me so bad. Verse 25. Shortly before dawn, which by the way, he makes them sweat it a little bit, right? The story starts in the middle of the night. And then this passage goes, yeah, just imagine Jesus going like, man, I bet they're terrified out there. That looks really bad. You know, like it's fascinating to me that he waits till dawn. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Um, when we get to the place of fear, 
there's just not a whole lot of cognitive processing going on anymore, right? Like you can reach this point of fear where you're just not thinking about anything except for how freaked out you are. Uh, I find it very interesting that in this occasion, they mistake Jesus for a ghost. Um, this makes me want to know all kinds of things. I mean, obviously, they're not growing up reading R.L. Stein novels. Edgar Allan Poe doesn't exist yet. So what did they think a ghost is? You know, like, I think that's fascinating. When they go, it's a ghost. Like, what does a first century Palestinian Jew think a ghost looks like? But anyway, besides that, there's just this thought that what's coming to save them is a bad thing. Maybe you've seen in a movie where you know somebody who's got a really bad attitude, right? And someone comes along to mentor them or help them. And they're just like, I don't need you. I'm fine on my own. Why are you making me do all this stupid stuff? And it's very frustrating because we've seen enough movies to know, oh, this is troubled young man. This is wonderful mentor. By the end of this movie, you'll be best friends. Why does it take an hour and a half to get along, right? It's right up there with guy and girl fight and don't like each other, but they're going to fall in love in the end. It's like a dramatic tension that we know is going to be passed. And so we see it sometimes in TV and film where there's someone who desperately needs help. Someone comes into their life to help them and they push against it. And we say, what an idiot. Except for you've probably been at that point somewhere in your life where somebody came to help you and you felt the need to punch them in the nose instead of take their help, right? And I take this moment to be one of those moments. Jesus is literally coming out to save them. And their response isn't, Jesus, we're saved. The response is, it's a ghost, we're going to die. And sometimes the salvation that you're asking for is walking at you and you don't like it because it scares you. Where you're so stuck in the spot that you're at that you don't even want to accept help anymore. And I feel like that's where they are. They are so resigned to death that this is more likely the grim reaper than it is their Lord, despite the fact they've seen Jesus do all these miraculous stuff. And it's a dark place to be in that some of us have been, where somebody reaches out a hand to help, and we go, oh, no, this is worse. Have you ever been in a spot where you're so bad off that every time your phone rings, you get a mini panic attack? It's crazy. Like, it could be the pharmacy to say, hey, come pick up your prescription. It could be a telemarketer. It could be your mom to say, honey, I love you. But as soon as the phone rings, you're so worked up with anxiety. You go, oh, this is going to be bad news. And I think that's the spot that they're in when they see Jesus and mistake him for a ghost. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink. Then he cried out, Lord, save me. All right, so here's what we do when we preach this passage, okay? Preachers go out of their way to do one of two things to Peter. The thing one is to describe him as the scrawny, faithless man, right? Oh, Peter went out there and he started to sink. And Jesus goes, you have little faith. We can't be sinking faith people. We need to go out and walk on the water and not look back. That's the one way we do it. Uh, and then there's the counter move to that. 
that is to make Peter a paragon of all virtue and faith. You know, we shouldn't critique Peter for, walk, for sinking in the water because most of us wouldn't even get out of the boat. Right? I'm sure you've heard a sermon, just get out of the boat. And I think it's a mistake to do either of these things. To critique Peter as this like wimpy faith guy or to make him this superhero of faith. I think he's more an average guy. Now, for this illustration, it doesn't help that Chris Evans never looks like an average guy, right? Like most of us would sign up for that picture. But anyways, we just, not the scrawny Chris, not the strong Chris, just average Chris, right? I see Peter as so worked up, he does not know what he's doing. And that's really the way that we do it sometimes. Jesus comes and he goes, Lord, oh, there's some faith. If it's you, oh, no, maybe he's not so much there. Tell me to walk out. And he does it, but then he starts to fall. And then he screams, God, help me. And then he's got faith again, right? Like, it's just this, like, sometimes we talk about this, like, these were all slow moments. Like, he goes, please call me out. And then he spent, like, two minutes walking. And then all of a sudden he looked around and he slowly sank. I don't see it that way at all. I see him terrified going, can I come? Jesus goes, yep. And he goes, okay. He jumps out of the boat and then he looks down and then he shrinks. And it's all like half a second, right? Because that is how double-minded we can be sometimes when things are hard. We believe one second, we don't the next, and then we do again, and then we don't again. Because we are so worked up, we just don't even know why it was up and down. And so I don't want to crucify Peter, nor do I want to proclaim him a hero. I think he's just an average guy who is terrified and doesn't know what to do. And he is halting and stepping back and forth and stuttering between faith and doubt and faith and doubt in that very second. Because he's just so overwhelmed, he just can't trust it, but he also can't afford not to. Um, then the passage resolves this way. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Uh, I love that Jesus has so much long-term vision here, right? Like Jesus never sweats this. It's helpful, I guess, if you've got the Son of God stopping storm powers. It helps you to not freak out, right? But P Jesus has this long-scale vision. He knows what he has planned for these people. He knows what he's done already in the life of these people. And he's saying, you know what? If you give this some time, it's going to be okay. Do not allow this storm to so work you out of shape that you can't move forward. Many of us struggle for that vision. We get so worked up that we just cannot see beyond our own face. This image of a storm is so good. If you've driven in really bad weather where the rain or the snow is coming so bad that you can't see more than two feet in front of your car, some of us live our lives that way where we just are so caught up in what's here that we can't look past it. And Jesus has this ability to just cut through it and go, guys, settle down. Have a little bit of faith. We're going to be okay. We can handle this. And he just brings that peace to them in that moment. Um, there's this beautiful phrase there. Immediately he reached out and he caught him. Uh, this is, the, this is the core of the passage, right? We talk so much about what Peter does and doesn't do. We talk so much about the miraculous powers of Jesus. We talk so much about meteorology. Like, there's a lot of things we talk about in this passage. The sentence here is, immediately, he 
He reached out and Jesus caught him. Uh, we need to be caught sometimes, right? Sometimes we have the day that does what we just talked about. And at the end of it, we need somebody to just grab us by the hand and go, you're okay. I've got you. You're not going to go anywhere. Nothing's going to happen. Sometimes I'm swinging around Lizzie and she just freaks out. She gets a little scared of heights. And so I'll be thrown around and she's like, Whoa, and she grabs onto me and she pinches me and pulls my hair and ow. And I have to say like, Lizzie, I am not going to let you get hurt. Okay. I'm not going to do something bad for you. Just chill out. You know, the, the excitement of it is, is okay. Uh, sometimes I think we have a really false understanding of spirituality. Uh, some of this is because I think we've imbibed some sort of Eastern philosophy on religion. I think some of it is because of the image we have of Jesus. But sometimes we talk about being religious, and it means being so detached from the world that you sort of float above it, right? I'm a religious person, and so nothing ever bothers me. I'm okay. Nothing's wrong. Everything's all right. Like Mr. Rogers... Just very serene. Um, I think the vision of faith that Christianity gives us is a little less like this and a little more like this. Okay? This passage tells you it's okay to be terrified sometimes. It's okay to be super excited. It's okay to be annoyed. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to have peace. Um... If you have ever thought, I must not be a spiritual person because I'm experiencing X, I don't think that's true. This passage is about whatever you're experiencing can be spiritual and can be part of the process of following Jesus. Because sometimes it terrifies the snot out of you. And sometimes it really excites you. And it's okay to have all those things. Lack of emotion and perfect even keel is not necessarily a sign of spiritual health in Christian um, theology. It's my hope today that in the end, we end with that idea of immediately he caught us. Uh, your faith this week will not be defined by how many obstacles you overcome or how many of them you avoid, how happy you are all week or how sad you are all week, whether you feel fear or courage what it will be defined by is if you reach out and you accept the hand that's coming your way. Your faith is defined by whether or not you're a caught person or not. And I believe Jesus wants to catch you. Some of you are possibly sinking this morning. Like some of you are here to think about happy things so you don't have to think about the frustrating thing that you're going to go home and talk, think about, right? And it's my hope that you will feel Jesus catch you this week. Uh, it's my hope that we can help you do that if there's a way we can. But in all of these things that are happening, it's just, it's part of following Jesus. And it all ends with him calming the storm. You might be a little while from that part, but eventually you get there. And so it's my hope that you can feel the trust of his hand reaching out to pick you up. All right. Um, if you're new with us, we do a Q&A at the end of all of our sermons. And so today we'll ask, have some. Yes, question. Yeah, it's real. That's an interesting question, right? So like, why did Jesus kind of put them through that, right? 
Uh, and I think there's a couple things. I think it's possible. I don't know if Jesus had a meteorology report all the time. So I think it's possible he just wanted some time by himself. And then the storm happened and he goes, oh, we'll have to use this as a lesson. Like, I'm not sure if he purposely put them there, but I think it's possible that he did. I don't know. Um, I think certainly there are times in our life where there are things that we think that God should keep us from having to suffer or deal with that are actually his ways of helping us to grow. Now, that's really hard because when you're going through that, the last thing you want is some preacher being like, well, listen, your pain and suffering is God's way of making you grow. you will be like, I'll punch you in the face, right? Like that is not what you want to hear. But there are moments where that's true. Like there's times we all know if you have kids, there are times where I see one of my kids struggling to do something and I sit back and I go, hmm, I wonder how this is going to work out. And some people are like, oh, it's so cruel. You should help them. And I'm like, no, they're going to be an entitled brat if I help them every time they have a problem, you know? Like, sometimes the, our struggles do help us to grow, I think. Any other questions?